Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Grace Roadshow, the uh, reinventing of the Grace Roadshow. I'm one of your hosts, Andrea Burke. And today we have in studio Cody Wilbanks joining us. Hello. Welcome, Cody. Thanks. Cody is our teaching pastor here at Grace Road and he oversees Institute Missions. He's an elder. What am I missing? What else do you do? That was the big stuff. The big stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's plenty. <laughs> it's the plenty that yeah. fills a 40 hour work week. Yeah, for sure. Um, Cody preached this past week and um, he preached out of Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. And the title of your sermon is Christmas Joy in a World of Pain. So if you were at um, if you were at church on Sunday, you would have heard this sermon. He already preached it. So I know these other two episodes that we did, I talked with Kevin before he preached them. So this is the first one we're doing that is post-preaching, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. So one of the goals of this podcast was to sit down with whoever is teaching, and, and we probably won't do this every week, but whoever is teaching to say, hey, what do you wish you had gotten to? And you had a heavy passage this week. <laughs> yeah. Not the not the most cheerful passage. No, of the birth story. No, no, it's uh, it's not one of the pieces of the like nativity set that comes from Fisher Price. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, so yeah, this is the slaughter of the innocents or massacre of the innocents. Um, one of those passages you even said in your sermon. This is not the choice for pastors to preach out of this. Yeah, I mean, this is part of expository preaching. Like, right, you can't avoid some passages of scripture. So that's one of the benefits, but also one of the the challenges too. For it's sure. true. It's not very festive, but no, it, no, but still brings a lot of important truths, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking, listening to the sermon, how much it anchors it in a time and place. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just this once upon a time in the land of wherever it's like, no, at this time when Herod was King. So we're given time, we're given historical, a historical setting, which is huge for narrative to mm-hmm. have that in scripture. Um, it's like, it reminds, makes me think of Ruth. Like yeah. when we're told, like in the time of the judges, it yep. gives us like, this is your anchoring point. This is what's going on. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, that you didn't get to talk about, which I thought maybe we could talk about a little bit, was the significance of Nazareth. So right at the end of your passage, Matthew 2, 23, it says, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Um, you didn't really get to unpack that much in your sermon. Do you want to talk about that at all here? Sure. Yeah. So there's, um, uh, I think we've talked about this at the beginning of the Matthew series, but this is something Matthew does a lot. He's fulfilling or explaining how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And so we have a bunch of them right there in our passage from Sunday. Uh, yeah, but I didn't really talk much about that last one. Um, but yeah, he, he brings that out that this is part of, God's plan in working through Christ that that they settle in Nazareth uh, rather uh, than Judea. So um, yeah, just it's just an interesting thing because he the wording he even just says what was spoken by the prophets. So it's not even you know earlier in verse seventeen he talks about the prophet Jeremiah. Um, there's a clear quote in verse fifteen from Hosea by the prophet. So it's kind of like a general, mm. you know, the prophets talked about this, but there's not like a sick, like a exact verse because Nazareth isn't even talked about in the old Testament. Mm. And, and so, uh, this has brought tons of speculation about like, what does he mean? Like what's being fulfilled? What, what's the idea there? 
And so there's a lot of ideas, but really like the main one is the idea that Nazareth uh, is tied to a Hebrew word, uh, Nezer, which is means branch. Mm. So those prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about like Isaiah 11 talks about Jesus or the coming Messiah being that um, uh, that branch would come from the stump of Jesse that, that mm-hmm. shoots out, that's going to come. Um, and so kind of the, likely tying that together, the town of Nazareth with that. So we would think of like Nazareth being kind of like the branch place. And the Nazarene being the kind of the branch person who's who's fulfilling that prophecy. So that's kind of like the main one that you read about if you're reading commentaries or other theologians on this. Uh, but it's super interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, this I was going to ask you this later, but this ties in really quickly here. Um, do you know how much, like, is there any number of how much like Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled? Like, is there an estimate of saying X amount? is fulfilled in Christ or in the destroying of the temple. And so like, what does that look like? Yeah. I think you're going to get different numbers depending on people's different views of prophecy okay. <laughs> Yeah, and what, what was fulfilled at, like you said, the destruction of the temple and things right. like that. So you're going to get a bunch of different numbers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've seen people post like on Instagram. I saw someone post the other day, like, Oh, uh, you know, church, you should know we should be warned because in Isaiah, Isaiah warned us, blah, blah, blah. blah. And my, what I believe is that I'm like, that's not talking about us. That's talking about um, Christ and like what happened, but could it be dual? Could it mean both? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's definitely both fulfilled prophecy that we see in the old Testament and still prophecy to be fulfilled. So obviously the the prophecies about the coming of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, (laughs) obviously have been fulfilled in other places as well. Obviously there's prophecies about the end times. Sure. Yeah. Which hasn't been fulfilled yet, obviously. Yeah. The coming of Christ. Um, and then there's also, there's like dual fulfillment too in yeah. the old Testament. So some prophecies would be fulfilled immediately in one sense, mm-hmm. but also would be pointing towards another fulfillment in the yep. future. So it'd be hard to give an exact number on yeah. that, I guess, but would that be, um, you know, I'm blinking right now, but the prophecy of the child that would be born who was like, ended up being that random baby Why am I, I'm blanking right now. This is how prepared I am. Yeah. I've told you I'm not prepared at all. Okay, good. Um, uh, Isaiah, is it seven. Isaiah seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, a there's immediate yes, fulfillment, yes, yes. but there's also the, Absolutely. okay. That's yeah. an example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the, um, uh, when we read about the Davidic covenant, right. David's yeah, going to have okay. a son, but then it's ultimately pointing to Jesus. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So you also mentioned you didn't get to, uh, really get into Matthew's use of destroy in two thirteen. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's just a, a little smaller point, but I just thought it was super interesting. Just to, didn't make it into the manuscript for, for this Sunday that word destroy. He uses it a number of times, but three times he uses it about um, what people wanted to do to Jesus. And it's mm. just a really like heavy word, right? Mm. Destroy yeah. is more than like, you know, kill or, sure. uh, but destroy. And so it's used here when, you know, he's a baby. It's used later in chapter 12 uh, about the Pharisees. They, mm-hmm. they plot, how can we destroy Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later uh, when, um, you know, Jesus is on trial, this is in Matthew 27, and uh, with the release of Barabbas, if you remember that story, mm-hmm. uh, it says that the, the chief priests are kind of like getting the crowd mm-hmm. to 
you know, say, no, actually you want Barabbas so we can destroy Jesus. Oh, wow. And so it's just this, I just think it's this unique idea that from his birth mm-hmm. to the time he's on his cross, people want to destroy Jesus. Yeah. And it's just a, a, a unique thing. And I think that's true for us too, in some sense, right? I mean, as followers of him, obviously, um, we might not you think that language mm-hmm. that people want to destroy us, but from the time of our let's say our rebirth, you know, being born again, uh, to the time of our actual death, um, you know, Christ has his enemies, mm-hmm. and as his people, we have our enemies too. So that makes me think of the fact that like Jesus is the Word made flesh, so like the Creator who spoke all things into creation is facing things that want to like uncreate him, like yeah. destroy him, destroy him. That it's like the enemy of life is destruction. Yeah. And that we see the same thing. Like as we're being made new creations, the enemy isn't just wanting to like dim our lights. He wants to take us out. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. You mentioned talking about Christmas theology. You want to talk about the hypostatic union? Or <laughs> I want to talk NBD. about NBD. <laughs> just an idea. That's just all. A thought. Not, you know, it's Christmas. This week is Christmas. So in Saints and Scholars, this is a program that we do part of the Institute, which is a little bit more advanced study, much more reading, much more um, discussion and and, um, homework based. Uh, We do three weeks on Christology right at Christmas, just to kind of like kind of, um, you know, strengthen our theology in this season. Mm -hmm. And so this is just one of the main issues when it comes to Christology or the doctrine of Christ. Um, from church history, hypostatic union is a theological term, obviously, and just means, um, describes how uh, the two natures of Christ are in one person. So the one person of Jesus, in the one person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, uh, is a, a divine nature and a human nature. So that that's all hypostatic. And it's not 50-50. Not 50-50. It's no. 100-100. Yes, you can say that, but that's super confusing to us. Right. And so councils in the past, like Chalcedon, <laughs> for example, they use language uh, like Jesus is very God and very man or truly God yeah. and truly man. Maybe that's a little bit more helpful instead of saying like fully God and fully man. Right. That kind of. Uh, and Delighting right in the Trinity, he talks about this yes, and okay. like language yeah. around the hypostatic union yeah. and super helpful. If you haven't read Delighting in the Trinity, yep. who's, who wrote it? Why Michael I, Reeves. Michael Reeves. Excellent, Excellent book. Yeah, very good. We went through it in grow groups last year. Um, it's one of those that after I finished reading it, I thought, I think I need to pick this up and start again. Like yeah, it was just so good. so good. But he does talk about that in that book. Like how do we talk about that without <laughs> like committing heresy? Like how oh, do we, it's so easy. <laughs> like, so the Trinity is the same way. Like, yeah, exactly. You just have to be so gracious. It's so yeah. like one word and you just kind of accidentally step off into something <laughs> so that true. could be condemned. So, yes. <laughs> so there's gotta be a lot of grace when we talk about it for sure. So much grace. Yeah. And I think it's also like is wrapped up in the mystery of Christ and oh, that yeah. like, we have to allow big theology terms to roll us up into worship and praise, not into chaos and uh, confusion. Like yeah, absolutely. These big things, these big uh, concepts that are really hard to understand just are invitations for us to know God more. Oh, like, absolutely. And marvel in like, how is this even possible? Yeah. We, we talk about that at the very beginning of Saints and Scholars of, hey, we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to roll through it fairly quick and it might feel discouraging yeah. sometimes. <laughs> But don't let it discourage you. And one of the examples I get uh, I give is in the book of Romans. So Paul, Romans 9, 10, and 11, those three chapters are some of the most debated and difficult chapters. Paul's talking about 
um, election and yeah. Israel and Gentiles and, you know, he's just trying to parse all this out. And it's obviously a center of debate for, for so many people. But the way that ends at the end of chapter 11 is worship. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like kind of goes into worship. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, how unsearchable are the riches of God's wisdom. Like, and that's what it should be for us. Yeah. When I mean, we're going to wrestle as best as we can because we want to know more about God. We want to be faithful to the biblical text. Yeah. But to not let it discourage us when we're like, man, I just don't get that. Yeah. I don't see how those two things connect. It should just, uh, uh, again, lead us into into worship. So yeah. hopefully this is a good opportunity in the Christmas season. For yeah, that. that's yeah. true. Yeah. Side note, that's one of my favorite things about Paul is that he'll just be like talking about something super normal and then for a solid like, 14 sentences. He's like, and I'm just going to like worship the Lord. Yeah. Quick. And you're like, okay, we're going to go along with you, Paul. And then he comes, he's like, okay, back to what I was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I actually, after I asked you this question via our Slack, I went okay. and did my own research. Okay. I couldn't believe it was only 20 to 30 boys. I thought, did Cody misspeak in the sermon? Did he mean to say 20 to 30,000? No, there's not a lot, not that I'm not devaluing right. the, uh, you know, the massacre or the severity of this yeah. action, but that's not a lot in my head. I always thought it was like thousands of babies that mm. were slaughtered, but it was only 20 to 30. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'll be honest with you. I read that somewhere and I can't remember. I was I actually <laughs> was going back over my notes saying I should have cited that better because now it's, I can't remember. It was all over the place when I looked it up. So it, okay. it's, so I looked up Paul Mayer, a historian, wrote on Desiring God an article. I can send it to Jay. We'll put it in the show notes um, because there isn't really historical, quote unquote, proof that this occurred. Um, Josephus wrote about Herod yeah. and in detail, mm-hmm. right uh, up until the end. Um, and he didn't write about yeah. this massacre of the innocents. However, Bethlehem had a population of somewhere between a thousand to fifteen hundred people at yeah. the time. So it's a very tiny town. Yeah. yeah. And it's even possible it was less than 20 babies. It could have been more like 12. It could have been not a lot, even Mm -hmm. like less significant, less significant, less memorable to someone in that time who someone like Josephus, who was writing a historical commentary, it might not even blipped on his radar because as it was, babies died Mm -hmm. a lot more frequently than because of infant mortality. Yeah. Um, And so to hear of, call it, you know, 15 Jewish babies or Mm. 15 babies killed in Bethlehem is going to be like, okay, what's that? Yeah. yeah, Again, not to diminish the tragedy of it, but yeah, in the grand scheme of all the things that Herod did, I mean, Josephus is going to focus on some other things. Probably Matthew is giving a focus because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, we can say that's, Historical proof too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. When I yeah. guess I mean like, uh, yeah, external. I keep or, using yeah. air quotes and nobody can see me do that. Like, <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> secular proof. Yeah. But also, I think that's a beautiful um, picture from the Lord too of how much those lives do matter. Yeah. Like, for historians to be like, ah, eh, whatever, mm-hmm. 20 babies in this tiny little town that nobody's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And God's like, no, those lives mattered. And I want someone to know that those lives mattered and that weeping of those mothers mattered. And it ties into my greater story. Like yep. it's not just this uh, meaningless event that yep. occurred, even if the world says those lives don't matter. Yep. Uh, they mattered to the Lord and they mattered to the story of what who Christ is. And so um, 
So yeah, I can put the link to that article in, um, in the show notes so that if anyone wants to read some of it, because it's an interesting thing, especially if people get into arguing the Bible and the mm-hmm. proof of, well, there's no proof. Yeah. It's like, it's a good, um, Paul Mayer does a good job explaining, like even understanding Herod, that something like this is in, is consistent with who Herod became oh, yeah. and who he was. So this story is not like, oh, Herod would never. It's like, oh, well, yeah. totally, he yeah. would do that. Like, yeah, nothing surprising about yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else that you feel like you wish you could have spent more time on? If you had like a three-hour sermon, what would you have riffed on more? A three-hour sermon? <laughs> and you had everyone's Goodness. attention. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, Let's be honest. I can't even like stay awake for a three hour movie, which is like no, made to entertain. No. I wouldn't want to hear myself. I couldn't do it. <laughs> no. So I wouldn't blame anybody for not wanting that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think going back to Nazareth, I think that's another piece that could have been talked about more, not just in the sense that it fulfilled prophecy, but there's something um, incredible to think about that, that, that Nazareth was like less well-known than Bethlehem. Like, like Nazareth was not a place of, you know, for the elites of society, it was not like a well-known town. It's not even mentioned in the old Testament, like, um, whereas Bethlehem obviously is in, in, in prophecy, but, um, you know, we learn about Nazareth in the new Testament and there's a scene in, in, um, was it, uh, I forget now, John one, uh, where Philip and Nathaniel, Philip, wants to go get tell Nathaniel about this guy, Jesus, that he's heard. And he wants to invite him to come um, meet Jesus. And he's like, hey, you should meet Jesus. He's, he's from, from Nazareth. And Philip literally says, can anything good, or I'm sorry, Nathaniel <laughs> says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like that was the, that was the reputation. Yeah. Like, you just didn't know about it. And if you did, you didn't have like good <laughs> thoughts about it. Yeah. <laughs> I would liken it to a, a, a modern day place, but I don't want to offend anybody. So, uh, <laughs> um, but that's the place that our Lord came from. Yeah. Um, he didn't come from Rome. He wasn't born yeah. in, you know, Athens, you know, modern day, he wouldn't have been born in Manhattan right. or, or any place like that. But yeah. he comes uh, for the lowly from the lowliest place. And I just think that's an incredible picture. I love that. Yeah. Like over and over again. That's just, yeah. like God's showing us who he it's is. what God does. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. All right. Um, shifting gears a little bit here. Okay. Die hard. You're a die hard Christmas movie guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I, it's not like my go-to movie, I'll confess, <laughs> but because that's the, the common argument every yeah. single year. That's one that many people could relate to for sure. It's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've decided this year, the other day I was listening to the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. Okay. And I was like, uh, this needs to be a Christmas movie. I've okay. just decided I'm going to make my family watch it. Yeah. It's such a good movie. Yeah. The music in that movie is incredible. Um, do you have any favorite Christmas villains? Like every Christmas movie, like you said. Yeah. Or I guess any movie in general, any Christmas movie has a villain. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite movie or a favorite villain that... I don't know that I have a favorite villain. Like, I don't. I mean, how do you have a favorite right. villain? <laughs> <laughs> favorite movies? Like, like I mentioned, like our go-to movies. I'm sure are like most people, right? Yeah. Home Alone, Elf, yes, all of those things. Um, another one I was thinking about, um, A Christmas Story. I don't know if you like that one. Yes, with Ralphie. Oh yeah. Uh, but 
Scut Farkas. <laughs> Such a terrible little kid. Yes. Right? <laughs> that is, he would be a he's Christmas the, he's villain. He's a Christmas villain. Yes, he is. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was another one, but I didn't mention that one. I was thinking of, um, do you remember that old, it's almost like claymation, but it was a year without a Santa Claus with like the little like heat miser and snow miser. Huh, I don't remember that you one. Never, <sighs> I'll, I'll watch it. I mean, it's from like the 70s. It's okay. not exactly like high caliber art sure. these days. Sure. But those are some pretty terrible villains. Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Huh. I hated them as a child. Oh, well, so. there you go. And uh, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life yeah. is one of the most easily hated villains. Oh, for sure. Who never even has like a redemption moment, right? <laughs> does he not? I don't even, does he come in at the end when George Bailey's like getting all the, he doesn't show up, does he? I don't remember. I don't think he does. I'm going to stick with he doesn't unless someone wants to message me and tell me that I'm forgetting it. But you know what? I read something else about this because I was trying to think about like Christmas villains. Someone said that their theory was Comet from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a Christmas villain. What? What? In what context? Because he was the one once, you know, Rudolph's nose was (laughs) discovered, kind of like really egged him on and teased him. But someone noticed, and I'm, again, I'd have to fact check this. I don't know if this is real. But later on, when Rudolph is, you know, leading the charge, Comet's nowhere to be found. What? Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, he's in his name is in the song still. Yeah. I'm thinking the movie. Maybe it's. Oh. Uh, no, 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 I'm going to have to check. Know. I don't know. There was a lot. I looked up a bunch. You mentioned Hans Gruber, Professor Hinkle from Frosty the Snowman, another okay. easily hated villain. Yeah. Mayor Mayhew from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay. The Gremlins. The Grinch himself the is Grinch. considered a villain, yeah. but he's kind of like a Scrooge. Like yeah. he Ebenezer has, Scrooge is another one. Um, the Wet Bandits. Burger Meister Meister Burger <laughs> yeah. from Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Um, Jack Frost. Do you watch Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen? Uh, yes. The Santa Claus 3 with Martin Short oh, I plays. What? You want to see a creepy villain. There's the a toy Santa okay. in Santa Claus 3 plus Jack Frost, um, played by Martin Short. Martin Short. Hmm. That was, they're good villains. They do a good job. Yeah. Believable Christmas villains. But we're, wrap, we're wrapping up all of our Christmas movies. We only have a few left this year before I'm putting them all back in the proverbial Same. bank. Same. <laughs> yep. Um, that's all I have for today. You guys looking forward to Christmas? Very much. We're not going anywhere. We're here. My parents are coming in from out of town, so we're going to have some family in. But yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be here all four services on this coming Sunday for Christmas Eve, 9, 11, 4, and 6. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Should be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. This is episode three. We will be back in the new year. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.